0: The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify, and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share, bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business, and how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Made the Measure. I'm McDonachie. My guest today is... This is Made the Measure. I'm McDonachie, and my guest today is Alex Georgieva. How's it going, Alex?
1: Hi hey Mick, um, I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me today.
0: Perfect, no, all good. Can, can you introduce yourself for, for the audience out there, Alex, just so they know who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Alex Georgieva and I currently work for Savills Project Management, Senior Project Manager for the last few years and I'm working on a large scale integrated fit out in the CBD.
0: Awesome, okay. and so you're based in, in Sydney then, Alex, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah. born and bred in Sydney.
0: Excellent, excellent. So I'm kind of interested in just going back to the start of your career and you know when, when you left school and, and decided to, to study civil engineering, what, what, what was the reason that you got into the, the construction industry, Alex?
1: Yeah, so um, my dad was actually a contractor working on, on large projects around the Sydney CBD. So from a young age, he used to take me around, you know, drive me around to all of his sites and he was quite proud of the work that he was doing. So that exposed me to the construction industry. And from there, I just had a huge interest in structures um, and engineering. So really enjoyed physics and maths, which are two very odd subjects to enjoy, I guess. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed those from a young age and, and studied those. And that kind of led me into the civil engineering pathway. Mm-hmm. And once I started studying that at university, I realised that I much more preferred being involved on the contractor side and on site. So I really wanted to understand how the buildings would actually come together rather than designing them. And I guess that's where it began. From there, I kind of made a few contacts at university, got my resume out. And, you know, one of my peers was actually working for a construction company called Wattpack passed on my resume and i managed to get a cadetship with them while i was still at university so that's where it all started
0: excellent so so when going going back to there and, and unpacking that just a little bit so you obviously had an interest in in certain subjects physics and maths which i was terrible at in school when i started when i started to study architecture i thought there would be a lot more sort of like art and design involved and it was just like constant physics and maths and i was like, mm-hmm. That's me done. <laughs> I, put, I, put, I put the pin on that pretty quickly, but obviously your, your father worked in construction, but was it always something that you wanted to do? Was it like, I really want to work in, in sort of construction or civil engineering?
1: Yeah. And I think I was lucky in the sense that I found that pathway from a young age and everything kind of into place from there i i picked the right subjects i really enjoyed those Mm -hmm. i started studying engineering i really enjoyed that as well i got the job as a as a cadet in the industry and i loved being on site so it all you know it was quite an easy decision and pathway for me being Mm -hmm. exposed to it from a young age and then just naturally being really fascinated by large building structures and and how that all comes together it um yeah it was I, i was lucky enough to be able to Come to that, come to that decision, you know, in high school, and essentially it progressed and worked throughout my whole career. So there hasn't really been any stage where I've wanted to leave the construction industry.
0: I I was always quite jealous of people like you that like knew (laughs) what they wanted to do from like such a young age. Like my friends who are like doctors, and you know, some of them are actuaries, and this is what I want to be. You know, I want to be this for the rest of my my life. I'm like, whoa. I still don't know what I'm. I want to be. I'm in recruitment, and I'm still not sure if this is for me. To be honest, and ten years down down the line, and I'm questioning myself still. So, so obviously you studied, and I guess you studied civil engineering. Did you want to do this, the design side initially, or did you want to? Just get an interest, uh, an idea of yeah. what that
1: was. So initially, because of my, my high school subjects being maths and um and physics, um uh, I guess the natural career progression was, yep, these are great subjects, uh, a great foundation for engineering. So I ended up enrolling um in civil and and I quite enjoyed. I guess the first year is quite well rounded in the sense that you touch on a few different areas of engineering. You do things like electrical engineering, you do your basic math subjects, physics. And science subjects as well. So it gives you a really good foundation for the next couple of years at university. And I guess I, although I loved the problem solving component of it, um, you know, things like steel and timber design and, and concrete design, where you've got really difficult questions and, you know, you spend hours kind of calculating and, and coming to the final quantities and, and solution. I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of it, but I wanted to apply that I guess, on site. I wanted to physically see that coming together rather than spending you know, hours designing something and not being able to physically contribute to, to how it all comes together on site.
0: Excellent. And so obviously you, you got your first job in, in construction and you mentioned that was through your, your network, people that you knew.
1: Yeah, so um, I actually just, one of, one of my peers at university at the time we we became friends and in, in just met throughout in one of our lectures, became friends. He was working at Wattpack at the time, and he was happy enough to pass on my resume and got me a job interview.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um And from there, that kind of progressed. I had a couple more interviews, and I just kept following up with them. They mm-hmm. did, I interviewed with them over the Christmas shutdown period. So mm-hmm. it was it was quite a lengthy process. Um, I didn't get a response, you know, in a week or two, and I just continually followed them up. And, you know, the feedback I got from them was that they they were a bit concerned that I didn't have much experience. This was my first time wanting to work on a construction site. I wasn't studying construction management, mm-hmm. but the fact that I was really persistent and I was willing to learn and and I continued to follow them up and ask about opportunities really appealed to them so they gave me the opportunity to um to work with them
0: as a kid i think that's a really good takeaway already alex is that you know the people that are out there who are applying for jobs and and they might not have got a you know feedback initially just call and find out what's going on you got to be that bit sort of pushy a little little bit persistent sometimes
1: and and i mean even if you're not successful um it's it's always good to still understand you know why you weren't successful in that role and actually mm-hmm. have a chat to them and ask for that feedback and say what could i have done better what am i lacking what were you looking for in the successful applicant and then you mm-hmm. can take that elsewhere
0: yeah and learn from it and so what was your first couple of years in construction like
1: very intense very uh, i guess well my first my first day on site was actually my 21st birthday and it was a relatively large project as well there were you know around 250 300 workers on site so it was pretty intimidating for me coming on site and and experiencing that but you know all in all a really challenging experience where I pushed myself and learned a lot and Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that I learned was from everyone around me from clients to direct um, work colleagues to even the contractors on site
0: so on your on your on your first day, then you walk on site and you know you're like, "Whoa, this is this is crazy! I'm on a big job. This is amazing." What what, what what's your like? What's your first point of contact? What you, do you were you bodied up with anyone, or
1: how did you learn? Yeah, so um, I was I had a design manager who was essentially my line manager at the time, and she was a really great mentor for me. So she was essentially the person that I would report to day to day and would help me. but outside of us having that relationship, I was also working with a lot of the younger site and project engineers at the time and they would take me out to site. Typically on a construction site you've got a site engineer looking after structure, another engineer looking after facade so I would take the time to actually go out on site with them, although I wasn't directly involved in any of those works, but just to get exposure to it and understand you know exactly what we're looking at, for example, I was very nervous to step out there by myself mm-hmm. for the first time. And so my project manager could actually sense, sense that. And his advice was, you've never been on a big site before. I want you to go for a walk, take, take um, one of your colleagues with you, and I want you to come up with 20 questions. And so I went out there and I looked around and started writing down my 20 questions. What is this? What is that? And I took those back to his office and walked in. I said, right, here are my 20 questions. And he said, okay, great. Now I want you to go back there and I actually want you to talk to all the contractors on site and ask them those questions. So if it's a question relating to concrete or structure, have a chat to the form worker or the steel fixer or the foreman and ask him those questions. And that was terrifying for me. But that's, it was, that's awesome. Yeah, it was terrifying um, to actually approach them because I'd never had any experience in this area before. But it was the perfect way to break that barrier and build that confidence on my end. But also, they really appreciated the fact that I was willing to learn and I mm-hmm. went to them to ask them these questions and understand the tricks of the trade and and what they do day to day. So that was the perfect way to kind of get me feeling more comfortable on site.
0: 20 as well like that's that's intense yeah, like i'd be i'd be going well what what one person here can i tick all 10 <laughs> off with
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's it nice. that's, a, that's a really interesting way of getting you introduced and in, in, onto the site and getting you involved because I, I know that there's like I, i've dealt with you know four men and different subcontractors and it can be they might have a frustration that there's all these this young engineers coming in here and they think they know everything. So go on to them with your hand out and saying, can you help me? It's just a great way of, I suppose, interacting and collaborating and making that sort of successful.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: And so in terms of what were the main challenges then in, in, in the first few years?
1: I think the, the big one for me was because I was still in my second year of university. So I had three years to go. So it was really the balance between full-time union, full-time work. So even though uh, as part of my arrangement I had one and a half days off a week to attend university in my lectures and tutorials, I did have to work on Saturdays as well. So mm. it was the balance of, yeah, full-time engineering and work, which was really, really tough at times. I have to say there wasn't there wasn't much work-life balance for me. There was one point where I was working on one central park with Wattpack as well which was directly across the road from UTS. So I would just be, you know, lunch break, go across the road, tutorial, back to site, after work, go and study. So, yeah, that was, that was definitely the most challenging part. But having exposure to everyone on site and their knowledge and their experience really helped with a lot of the work that I was doing as well.
0: Do you have any tips for anyone out there who might be trying to juggle both, uh, you know, at the moment between study and, and, and working?
1: Yeah, I think, it's, um, I think it's important to just have a conversation with your, your line manager about their expectations of you and also understand where you're at in the stage of the, the program because a lot of the time, you know, if you're leading up to project completion, for example, you will be naturally, you will be required to be on site for many hours getting the job ready getting it finalized so it's it's understanding you know where will you be next semester can you take on three subjects or do you realistically not want to overcommit? take on two subjects and perform well in those and also be able to manage where the project is at in in within mm-hmm. the project lifecycle. and just having that transparency with your line manager and being honest about what commitment you can make so that you don't Take on too much and and you know struggle to stay afloat.
0: That's that's really that's really good advice, Alex. Um, so, so just just from my understanding, so you were working full time and studying, well, studying full time as well. That's, that's I was amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I did um you know and and hence why I'm kind of saying it's important to have those conversations, understand the project, and not overcommit. My last year of uni, I was do I did eight subjects plus a thesis plus working on one central park. So it was a very challenging time. I got yeah. through it in the end, but, you know, I would not recommend that to anyone.
0: That's a, that's a, that's a lot of coffee and Red Bull, I, right. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So obviously working you work for a head contractor and then you work, moved on to, to Mervac. And so how, how would you describe Mervac? Would, would you say that they're like client side or like the owner builder or...
1: Yeah, so I guess um, obviously different to Wattpac in the sense that Wattpac is purely a contractor and Mervac is a developer builder. So they develop a lot of their own land. So they do have an in-house design team. They have the development side. They have an in-house infrastructure team as well and then an in-house construction team. So I worked directly as part of um, Mervac Construction Mm -hmm. um, on one of their residential projects and so in turn, my client was essentially Merback Development.
0: Would that be the main difference in, in you know, your, your days with Wapak is that your client was also the business that you work for?
1: Correct, yep.
0: yeah. Yep. And so then obviously then you moved on to, to working client side for, for, for Savills. What's it like then to, to work for a client, then a client oper- or sort of owner operator um, builder and then contractor you know is there many differences between each
1: yeah it it is it is very different um especially going from i guess my experience at Murvac because i was in the construction team was quite similar to working at Warpack construction the only difference was as you mentioned that the design team and the and the client was essentially in-house so the big difference for me was going from contractor to client side and It was a a really nerve-wracking and tough decision for me to make. I I loved being a part of the construction team and the delivery team so much that I was worried I would be completely removed from it. But I also wanted to explore new challenges and, and new projects and I guess understand other aspects of a project outside of purely the delivery component. So I ended up taking the opportunity at Savills and I haven't looked back since. I, it's been an, an amazing, you know, three and a bit years that I've been with them and I've been exposed to so many aspects of the project life cycle um, and it's been a great learning experience for me.
0: How would you describe the main differences between working for a company like Savills to a company like WAPAC?
1: Yeah, so I guess the, the main difference is, the fact that you're engaged directly on behalf of the client so you know working at what a lot of the time as a site engineer a produce engineer you're you're placed on a project once the design has been developed to a level the feasibility studies have been completed you know and you're at the beginning of the job where you're, you're about to use those design documents to tender out to contractors and then start the delivery component of works whereas at savils i was engaged on a the project I'm currently on quite early on. So we were still actually going through the concept design phase with our client. We, prior to my time at Savills, we also undertook the feasibility study for this particular client where they were consolidating multiple different sites and moving into two larger tenancies. So again, another piece of work that I wouldn't typically be exposed to when I'm working on a builder site. And so, yeah, I guess I was involved from the early concept phase and uh, concept design phase through to design development and I also had exposure to the, how the client operates as a business and, you know, a lot of stakeholder engagement and understanding exactly what the end user needs mm-hmm. and feeding that back through into the design and into the delivery to make sure that we meet all of their business requirements.
0: So is a company like Savills then employed by the clients to manage their best interests?
1: Correct, yep. So we would be d- uh, directly engaged by an organisation who's looking to, yeah, as I said, for this particular example, they had seven or eight different sites with leases expiring um, in 2020, 2021, and all of those needing to um, consolidate into two larger sites. So the project on at the moment is 32000 Square meters and an integrated fit out, so it's a it's a huge project and it's a huge change for this particular client mm-hmm. moving from a fifteen year old fit out into a, a brand new way of working into mm-hmm. a new tenancy and all of the change that comes with it.
0: What what sort of transferable skills then? If there's someone out there who you know was working on on the contractor side, what what, what sort of skills would you say? Would work really well on that client side, Alex?
1: Working on site is a very, very good foundation for a client side project manager. So I've personally had feedback from, you know, mentors and and line managers that, you know, the fact that I've got contractor experience has placed me in a really good position for client side because you understand the site constraints, the planning. Mm -hmm the contractor requirements, the safety component, the quality component, and you also understand how to communicate with the builder and how they communicate with their suppliers and contractors. There's obviously a lot of risk management involved when you go over to client side. So having that knowledge and actually understanding the smaller details of how the project comes together really benefits you if you're looking to move from contractor side to client side. And I think it also, the whichever project you end up being placed on from a client side perspective, you know, the builder would actually also value the fact that you've got that experience and you understand their pressures and their constraints and you can therefore manage the client, and end user client requirements and the builder requirements really well.
0: Yes that builds up rapport a little bit easier, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. That exactly. you've been
0: there and done it and been in their boat as well.
1: Exactly, yeah. The fact that you can kind of empathize with them.
0: Yeah. And, and so you, you went from site engineer to project manager. Was that like a big step up or what, what was that like?
1: It was. And, you know, you take on quite a bit of responsibility when you go across to, to be a project manager and, and you're delivering these requirements for, um, for a big organization. But yeah. I think it's important to note that the roles also don't directly correlate. So a site engineer's, roles and responsibilities would vary quite a bit to a, a project manager, client-side project manager. So you mm-hmm. wouldn't, I guess there's no comparison whether one is superior to the other, mm-hmm. but the difference would be that you're essentially dealing with end users and requirements, and there's a huge responsibility to make sure that that gets delivered across the builder on time, on program, you know, without any major risks.
0: I have a lot of people I know kind of are in that type of role, and would love to get into client side project management. And there's a lot of people out there that would say, you know, on site you're working sixty-five hours a week. Sometimes, you know, it's it's really really busy, but you have a little bit more work life balance on the client side. Would that be true, or is that just a myth?
1: So, one of the reasons for me wanting to move over to client side as well was because I wanted some work life balance, and I definitely. I have to say it is better on on client side because you don't have to be on a construction site, especially on weekends. You don't Mm -hmm. physically need to be there, but you are working a lot of hours as well. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm working less hours than when I was on site, but the benefit is that I can do that. You know, I can work from home, especially now with COVID restrictions. I can work from home two days a week. If I need to get work done on the weekend, I can do it from comfort of home. I don't necessarily be on a need to be on a construction site at seven o'clock in the morning. So I can you can really balance your personal requirements and still get the job done. Yeah. So even though kind of working similar hours, you have that autonomy and you can make the decisions on, you know, if you want to start early and, and you know if you want to finish at four o'clock one day and work later the next day so that you can incorporate some lifestyle things on early morning or or afternoon
0: i think that's one of the kind of beautiful things about covid that it's kind of pushed the industry so far along in terms of like the communication piece and the work-life balance piece like there was a time and it wouldn't have been that long ago that a lot of companies that i would deal with wouldn't even be that interested in interviewing someone over like a zoom call or a skype call or teams because they always want to get the feel for someone face to face. But now it's happening, and it's, it's amazing to see like, the talent that they're engaging with because of that.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think it's been a shock to the construction industry as well, in the sense that we've realized that we can we can work in more of a flexible arrangement. I know that some construction companies were working two or three days a week from from home and you know, they were using FaceTime when they needed to check things on site and they weren't physically there. Previously, all of our meetings were face-to-face and we never once had a conference call, whereas now everyone's really comfortable using conference calls and, um, and actually using the video component. At first, people were a bit nervous and, and not putting their video on, whereas we're now all really comfortable. And if anything, I think it's improved our communication mm-hmm. um, as well. It's a positive in the sense that we know that, you know, even on site, you do need to be there, physically be there to work with your contractors and solve problems every day. But you can do that flexibly. And I think it's a matter of just having making sure that the team, the delivery team on site has a clear roster and clearly communicates who will be covering what aspect on site when the other person isn't there. And it's just really a, a management thing. But, you know, we can definitely do it.
0: I know I, I agree totally and um, I'm interested to see how this sort of little bit of disruption, you know, brings in more diversity within the construction sector as well, you know, having that little bit more of a, of a balance, but um, well, one thing I'm interested because obviously you've worked on, on, on in a few different elements of the construction sector, what, what, what do you think makes a good project manager, Alex?
1: Communication. I know, I know that everyone talks about communication a lot and it seems like a pretty standard thing that we all need to talk to each other, but I think it's the level of communication and, and building a relationship with your clients and your builder and your developer and all the, all the stakeholders that are involved in the whole project lifecycle. It's more than just sending lots of emails um, each day and you know, it's picking up the phone and letting them know, hey, this is coming your way, just giving you a heads up. You know, it's knowing when to pull out the contract and when to be really transparent and have an open conversation. So it's, it's all those levels of communication. It's knowing how to speak to your builder, but also how to speak to your client or the end users themselves. So that would, I guess, that would be my starting point for a really good project manager is, is really open transparent communication and and also another another skill is just you know knowing when you do need to be contractual and when you don't because you don't want to start a project off with lots of notices and contractual issues so you'd prefer to establish i guess a really transparent working uh, collaborative team environment and that sets you up for a successful project no matter what challenges come your way if you've got a collaborative team and you're transparent when you need to be, then you will get through all of those challenges. And I've personally seen it myself and experienced it myself on, on the projects I've worked on.
0: Oh, excellent. And you, you mentioned communication as being a, a really strong part of it. And obviously, no one wanted to be contractual or not. Do you think communication skills are something that you can learn? Or is it something that you naturally have?
1: It's definitely something that you learn. So, I personally, you know, as I mentioned, starting off with the 20 questions, I was terrified about speaking to these contractors. It's definitely, I've learned it. So, working on the builder side and dealing with suppliers and contractors, and then coming across to client side as a project manager, I was quite nervous presenting things to the client the first few times. And, you know, I would stutter and, You know, you'd have to present things to them and you'd have to present to your stakeholders. You'd have to present to a developer. And it is nerve-wracking, but it's all a learning process. And for me, it was definitely something that I learned across all the different projects I worked on, as well as participating in things like hackathons and, you know, putting my hand up to do internal presentations and things like that, because all of that just contributes to your building your communication skill set.
0: I think it's so undervalue communication. It's something that's so, so important, and it's not even just in construction, it's just across the board. Like If you get really good at it in your job as a project manager, you'll probably find that you're a better communicator in every avenue in, in your life. But I, I noticed um, on, on your LinkedIn profile that I guess pre-COVID, you were going to talk about going, going to do like a keynote on in the Sydney, Sydney Build Expo. Was that right? Alex?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, I actually participated in Constructathon um, in August last year, which was the first construction-wide hackathon, mm-hmm. and it was sponsored by Stockland, uh, Stockland, Mervac, Roberts, Robert Pizzerotti, Borrell Built, and it was an innovation, you know, weekend at Google's office where we teamed up and we focused on problems like safety and mental health on site. Mm-hmm. So I was placed with um, with a team and our, our challenge was essentially zero harm on sites. And we developed a, an idea or a concept called OK Mate, which is a safety platform for workers to use on site. And from there, we actually ended up winning Constructathon. Oh, nice. We went through a six-week um, incubation phase where we got to further develop our idea and the concept and that's what we were going to present at sydney build so my teammates and i still still working on it in the background but unfortunately because of covid it requires it requires quite a bit of testing in a sense that we need to interview lots of different workers and stuff on site Mm -hmm. um, which we haven't been able to do so it's on hold at the moment but it's essentially yeah a safety platform
0: i know something like that would be so so worthwhile even from my perspective if we have you know, contractors are on site. We want to know, you know, that they're going through the right sort of processes and systems to, to, to make sure that they're safe, and you know, there, there there is no harm coming to them. You know, and I guess it's all about that communication piece again, isn't
1: it? Yeah, that's right. And I think one of the, I guess, one of the problems that we found was that there are quite a few workers that are, are scared to speak up about mm. safety issues because they're worried about, you know, they've got a fear of losing their job or you know their bosses not being happy with them because of loss of productivity or whatever it may be so this um, this was really trying to give them a voice to be able to speak up about any time they felt unsafe on site without that fear of retribution and
0: so my next question what I was going to ask was about what part of the construction sector do you think could be disrupted but I guess that must be one is there any others that you can think of
1: I think we still need to focus on the work-life balance component I know that a lot of builders have flexible working arrangements but I think the real push is changing to a five-day working week there are a couple of I believe there's a contractor recently announced that they've successfully negotiated a five-day working week with their workers and with the CFMEU which is fantastic and a great step forward for the industry so I think um you know, as long as clients, developers and, and builders can all work together to agree to a five-day working week, that's probably the first step to really really seeing some work-life balance in the industry, which would also contribute to better mental health, because there's a lot of pressure, and, and people feel that pressure on site every single day, and unfortunately, suicide rates are still quite high. So I think, um, I think we can do better in the work-life balance component.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree totally. And it, it's, it's, it's a necessity rather than uh, just, a, just something that is going to fly through the, the industry. It's something that needs to be done. And, and, and obviously, as you mentioned, mental health is, is so, so important. But I know that you, you, you won an award last year as well, Alex, Savile's Excellence in, in Project Management Award. I'm, I'm probably going to embarrass you by asking this. So how, how do you become an award-winning project manager?
1: Communication. <laughs> no. Look, it was it was really exciting um, for me to get that. I guess last year was was a really big year, and there was some. It w- really gave me the opportunity to grow on my project, and and my boss was great in the sense that also gave me a lot of autonomy and kind of stepped back and let me take on more responsibility. So, because I had the opportunity to do that, I actually got to challenge myself again and grow and. Because of that, um, yeah, I was nominated internally for PM of the Year Award and, and was successful in winning that amongst all the other amazing PMs that we've got. So, yeah, that was a huge highlight for me last year. So it was, it was really exciting to get that.
0: Excellent. Well, congratulations. Thank um, you. And what, what, what do you think the, the future of project management looks like? Do you think there's going to be much change? Do you think there's going to be much disruption? Because I think like things are beginning to change a bit.
1: Yeah, I think so. And it's, it, I guess it goes back to the question that everyone's been asking lately, which is what does a post-COVID world look like? You know, are we going back to our office full-time or is it always going to be a part-time work from home? And how will that change our role and how we can successfully deliver projects for our clients? I think it'll continue to evolve. And I think what's really important for construction and project management at the moment is industry collaboration. There's going to be a lot of challenges that we face. You know, there might be a decreased pipeline of work and there's a lot that we can do to help each other and I think industry collaboration is, plays a huge part in that. So things like Constructathon where we try and work together to really challenge and solve these big problems in the industry that have been here for such a long time is important to, to help the not only help us get through the next next few years, but the to boost the morale of a lot of a lot of the younger people that are still coming through the industry to know that there is an opportunity for innovation and change.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I know there's a lot of people sort of fearful out there that aren't too sure whether they'll ever get a job and they've got, you know, big student debt and and all that sort of stuff. So I guess the more collaboration and the more that we can work together, even just something like this, can maybe help people in, in, in the future. What do you love about the industry, Alex? What excites you about construction?
1: The fact that no one project is the same. Every day things change. There are so many variables, and you can do your best to you do your best to program things and and design out any issues. And um, there's a lot of risk management involved, but it's the the ever-changing environment that, that I love about it. So, you know, even though I've been on this particular project for just over three years now, which is a very long time to be on, the, on an integrated fit-out, um, the fact that so much has developed and, overchanged, uh, and changed over time is great because it means that you're never really getting that project fatigue or that feeling of you want to do something different. So mm-hmm. each project is diff- uh, has a different experience you learn new things, it challenges you, you build a huge network because each project has a different team of individuals and clients and stakeholders. So, yeah, it's the ever-changing environment for me that I absolutely love aside from, you know, the end, the end product and standing there together as a team when it's all finished and, and looking at all the amazing work.
0: So you're, you're a bit like your dad and you go around and go, no, that's me, you've done that? Yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely. Definitely, yeah. Take, definitely have a lot of pride when it comes to... Some of these projects so,
0: yeah. um and just 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 finally then do you have any guidance you know for for any graduates or, or juniors out there who are maybe sort of say graduating this year or, or have graduated and, and just looking to get into the sector
1: yeah definitely i think start to build up your linkedin profile and 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 build as many connections as you can put your hand up to participate uh, participate in in things like constructathon and, and hackathons when they do start to occur again uh, once its restrictions start to ease, and I think the important thing is is having, or well, the most important thing is having a mentor. So, I have had a couple of different mentors within my organisation and externally that have kind of stayed with me over the last couple of years, and that has really helped guide me throughout my career. And you know, it's it's always good to have someone external to your organisation that can provide advice and isn't directly involved in, in what's going on around you so I think if you can find an, an industry mentor and use their learnings and their experience as well that's really important and that's played a huge part in my career as well.
0: I, I agree totally I think utilizing a mentor is, is so worthwhile like what you can gain in knowledge is nearly worth a, worth a degree you know it's it's so it's incredible, you know, if it's network, whether it's just learning, just having a sounding board or with someone who's going to give you impartial advice, you know, mentors are, are fantastic. And I think that was a really good thing you said as well, like, with regards to getting involved, whether it's hackathons or networking groups. And just one other thing I would say to that is if there isn't something, start them yourself. You know, if there isn't a hackathon, get four or five friends and start one. And, you know, some four or five others will come along. And before you know it, there could be 15 or 20 in this little networking group or hackathon or whatever it might be, where you can really excel.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you just you never you never know what connections um, you can make from those types of events as well. You know, as I said, my my first opportunity came via just meeting someone new at university and asking them if I could pass on my resume. So I think it's important to just put yourself out there and keep working on it. Building that network.
0: Excellent. And and finally, what are you excited about within the industry?
1: What am I excited about? Yeah, I think I guess the next stages of technology um, mm. and how that can change and how we can streamline processes on site. And I guess where technology and sustainability will take a lot of our buildings. So I think we need to start doing more for the environment outside of meeting all of the you know green star neighbors requirements although they make they are a great foundation i think there's more we can do in terms of making buildings sustainable and essentially net zero so i'm excited to see how that transforms the construction industry over the next kind of five to ten years
0: excellent and so if there's anyone out there alex who who wants to reach out or wants to ask you some questions or just a bit of advice is, is the best way to connect via linkedin
1: yeah definitely
0: okay Well, thank you so much for for doing this today. You've been a great guest and you've added so much value. So thank you for taking time out of your day.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to Made to Measure. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is the only podcast in the world that focuses on the niche area of construction costing. Therefore, as an independent podcast, your support is invaluable. Please like, share, screenshot, give a review, or just tell your friends and colleagues about the show. The more people that know about the podcast, the better the guests that we can bring to you, the better the content you will consume. Thank you for joining me. I'm Mick Donaghy, and this was Made to Measure.